So like Chase, I was outside all day yesterday, and on top of being burned, I also have extremely terrible allergies. So I'm warning you now, um, it, it, it could be bad. I'm, I'm praying, I'm praying that it won't be, but just as a forewarning, I have terrible allergies, and that's how I'm feeling right now. So I'm so happy to be with you guys today. Uh, we get to continue in our series in Hebrews. Um, and to start off this morning, I, I want you to think about something. I want you to think about what faith is to you. What is faith to you? Now, as you, as you noodle around a little bit, I want you to think about what faith is to the world. You have what faith might be to you, what faith is to the world. And as you think about it, is there any difference? Is there any difference in the way that the world sees faith and that the way that you see faith? Because this word in our culture is used and abused in so many different ways. It's a word that's hard to define, so it's used for everything. So I really wanted to do this, but I knew I wouldn't have time to. But I wanted to find pictures of every cheesy sign out there that had faith on it. And I wanted to like, put it up here and just display all these special pictures. But I didn't do that. Instead, I just picked out a few of them I really liked and, and wrote them down for you. First one is faith, hope, love. It's a good one, right? Faith, family, freedom. And the other one, accept, let go, have faith. Now, one, apologies for anyone that has, has these signs in their house. I am so sorry if you do. Two, I am not saying that these signs don't have some truth to them, but because of stuff like this, I think the meaning gets lost. We just have these little three-word representations of what faith is in our houses, and again, not bad, but it just loses its meaning a little bit. Just because the word is used does not mean it's used properly. For instance, one of my favorite bands has a song called Have Faith in Me. I'm sure, as you expected, I'm going to read you some of the lyrics right now because that's what you all want. I felt like I should have sang it to you, but then no one would come back to this church ever again, so we're not going to do that. Anyway, here you go. It says, have faith in me because there are things that I've seen I don't believe. So cling to what you know. Never let go. You should know things aren't always what they seem. I said I'd never let you go, and I never did. I said I'd never let you fall, and I always meant it. You didn't have this chance, then I never did. You always find me right there again. So again, just because you use the word doesn't mean you're using it properly. In this, he wants a girl to trust him. Like, I got you, girl. Don't worry about it. I'm here for you. I'll never let you fall. You'll always find me where I need to be. Have faith in me. Isn't that just the sweetest thing you ever heard? Isn't that so nice? Every girl in here is like, oh my goodness, that's just so adorable. The problem is, is I think he chose the wrong word here. It should have been called trust me or, or something along those lines because faith is so much more powerful. It's so much more over-the-top intense that you can't use it in a scenario like this. So this morning we're going to discover what true faith is. We're going to be seeing examples of this true faith, and we're going to see the importance of this true faith. So we're going to be 
in this, on this topic of faith for the next four weeks, and we're going to be able to deep dive into this chapter, which is also sometimes called the Hall of Faith, this chapter 11. And this morning, we're only getting to dip our toe in just a little bit into um, all of these massive people in the faith. But without this initial breakdown and understanding, the entirety of this chapter would be lost. So as we start through this morning, there are three questions I want you to ask that are indicators of true faith. Number one, when doing what God asks, is it out of a true respect and honor of the one who asks, or is it an obligation? Number two, as you live your life, are you walking in faith or following your own path? And last, do you have reverent fear of God or do you have fear of man? So those are the three questions. And each one is just as important as the last as we go through it this morning. And each one of these is going to help you discover the areas that true faith is present in your life. You're going to discover the areas that need direction in this. And maybe you'll discover areas where true faith doesn't exist in your life. That being said, let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, thank you so much for another beautiful day. Thank you for bringing us all together, the breath in our lungs, the ability we have to gather. Guys, want to pray that as we open your word, as we go through this incredible chapter in Hebrews, um, God, that you would just open our eyes to see you more clearly. God, and open our eyes to see what this true faith actually is. God, we love you and praise you and give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So our passage this morning, as Chase read, starts in Hebrews 11.1. 1. So if you're not there yet, please go ahead, open in your Bibles, follow along. <clears throat> it starts here and says this in verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So as soon as we start this section of verses, we're hit with another word utilized to ensure we're looking back to what was previously said prior to engaging this text that's ahead of us. So it's this word now, this now. So this now at the very beginning of one points us one verse back to what Dan was talking about last week, which gave us a more in-depth a more complete view of what the author was trying to get across in this book that we've been studying so far. Which brings us backwards to verse 1039, excuse me, that says this. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So this verse right here is beginning to point to, prior to beginning this new section, um, what, what it's pointing to is so important because it points to the fact that we as believers in Jesus Christ, believers that Jesus, God, came to this earth, lived the perfect life, died for the sake of us dirty sinners, took on the full wrath of God, rose again, defeating death. It's those of us that believe this, in this Jesus, we will persevere in what we believe. We don't shrink back. We have faith that he will preserve our souls. And this is such an incredibly beautiful thing to understand when we start seeing it clearly. 
When we believe in Jesus and have faith in what he's done, we have salvation, as it says in Ephesians 2 8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. With this knowledge, we know we will persevere through whatever life will throw at us because he is our sustainer. He is the one that's going to get us to the finish line. And it's through our faith. Now, this might sound all well and good, right? But without a proper understanding of this faith being spoken of, there's a huge disconnect between what is being said and an understanding of the truth behind it as we talked about at the beginning. So it seems to me that the author knew that in the culture then and now, there's a confusion on what this faith truly is, hence the dedication to an entire chapter in this book. This chapter brings into play important examples of this true faith and the intense necessity of this faith. So now that we understand the context of the verse, let's reread 11.1. Again, says this. Now, faith is the assurance of or confidence of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So first things first. Faith is not an imaginary land that you hope is real. It's an assurance of things hoped for. We have a confidence in what we've been told. That all we see in God's word is true. It's trustworthy. It's an irrefutable knowledge that through the truths laid out in scripture, there is a firm assurance in the things hoped for. We have confidence. We have assurance of these things hoped for. Now you might be asking, what are these things hoped for? Hope in this context is in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection. Those are the things hoped for. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though. Now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to, to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressibly inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Isn't that a great passage? When we put it all together, faith is a confidence because of what Jesus did on the cross. This is confident trust in an eternal God. This is not I repeat, this is not blind faith, as so many people in our culture would claim it to be. There's a confidence that he's with us always, a confidence that he loves us, a confidence that Deuteronomy says best in 31.6, be strong and courageous, do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you, he will not forsake you. 
So this passage was written to encourage the people of Israel in the Old Testament. So the, the people being encouraged at this time would have been Joshua, Solomon, Hezekiah's military officers. And through all of their challenges, God wanted them to know that he was with them. And they had faith that he was with them, a confidence he was, even though invisible, he was, is, and will be visible in so many other ways. In Hebrews, the author is writing to Christians, as we all know at this point, He's writing to Christians that are struggling in different areas, and in this section, he's writing to Christians that are struggling in their faith. They're struggling in this confidence. They're struggling in this remembering who Jesus actually, truly is. Hence this, again, this next section we're going to be going through, where he brings into play, this whole next chapter is him bringing into play massive heads of the Jewish faith and the tradition who went through trials, All of these people I just named off, every single one that we're going to be going through, they all went through trials. But through the trials, their confidence remained by and through the grace of God. They persevered in this faith because they knew where true hope lied. Hope in the promises of God. They didn't follow blindly, but they trusted in the eternal God even though not visible. He is visible through the fulfillment of the things promised. Bring us to verse 2, which says, For by it the people of old received their commendation. So again, in the next verses we'll be walking through, we're going to be going through account after account of individuals that showed true faith. And verse 2 brings out the conclusion of the faith that we're going to be discussing. It says they were commended. They were commended. So we have to understand what this commendation is, right? The literal meaning of this word is to praise, which might sound weird, right, that they're being praised. But in, in other words, another way to look at is a well done, good, and faithful servant. Each of the individuals presented in this chapter will bring into play different aspects of faith and how they individually showed this faith and were commended. So the negative aspects of these individuals' lives are not presented in in this chapter. It's not. But it would have been well known to the people at the time. So this being the case, it would have been even more profound to remember all that they went through and the faith that remained in their lives that they were being commended for. So first we're given an example of what we as believers are to have faith in. True assurance and confidence of, pointing first as it should to God prior to the stories of old. Going into this next verse, beginning with the first by faith in this chapter. By faith. Because of faith, because of the assurance and confidence in the promises of God. We know what God says is true. We know and understand that, verse 3, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So this verse points to something none of us were there for, right? Anyone here there for the creation of the world? Anybody? No? Okay, cool. I'm glad. Oh, yeah. Tomorrow was awesome. 
those first points to something none of us were there for. We didn't physically see the universe made. Yet, as believers in Christ, we know without a shadow of a doubt the reality of this truth. Again, we don't blindly, blindly believe this. There's confidence in what the Creator has said and proof in the visible world around us. We know that Almighty God created everything visible out of the invisible. And not only this, he holds it all together by the word of his power. We look back to Hebrews 1.3, it says this. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sin, sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Or in Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And then what about Romans 4.17? As is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that did not exist. Pretty big theme in scripture, right? is a great introduction as a reminder to the people. Look around you at the world. Look at creation. Here in Colorado, we have great examples of this, don't we? We have beautiful sunrises, sunsets, the mountains, the trees. We, you have little leaves that fall. You have the tiniest little ant to the, to the biggest giant, gri- like not grizzly bears because they are, are not here. But we have big old brown bears, right? So we look at creation. We can see God's hand in all of it. Creation cries out the name of our creator. The proof is everywhere. And we believe he made it all by the word of his power out of the nothingness. We have confidence that what God says in his word is accurate. We can trust and have this faith as he is the always and forever that has never broken his promises ever. This is faith right here an assurance of the promises, a confidence in the hope found in Jesus. Which right now, it brings us into the many examples the author brings into play to help the people here. Not just them then, but us here today. It's going to take it to a a place that's going to bring it alive in a way more profound way. Taking us to verse 4 that says this. By faith... Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So this first example that the author provides, even though in chronological order to the others that we're going to be talking about, it would have still had a massive impact on the people immediately, as they knew this righteous man so well. He was a hero of the faith. I mean, the people knew that even Jesus spoke about this righteous man in Matthew 23, 35. But before we dive into it, it's extremely important to understand this righteousness being talked about as well because it could quickly be misconstrued. So some people might think that these men and women that we're about to talk about are super extra special because they were accounted righteous for their work for God. 
But let me tell you, righteousness in its most simplistic form is to be seen from seen free from guilt or sin. Now you might say, well, how is this possible? The Bible says we're all sinners, right? Including all of these people. We all fall short of the glory of God. No one is good. You are 100% correct if that is what you are thinking right now. So how is it possible these individuals we're, we are going to talk about were considered righteous? How could you ever be considered righteous? Is it about the good deeds that they did, the good deeds that you do? What could it be? And the answer is the big word of the day, right? Faith. Faith in Jesus Christ saves us from our broken sin. Faith in what Jesus did for us to rescue us. Because of this faith, we ourselves are not perfect. But Jesus, the perfect one, stands before us in front of the Father and says that we're his. It's called imputed righteousness. We ourselves are not perfect, but he is. Now let me throw another wrench in here. Jesus wasn't born when Abel was alive. Or any of the other people that we're going to be talking about. So was it by their works then that they were saved? That completely goes against what Scripture says, right? And the answer is absolutely not. It was a faith in God that they were considered righteous. They themselves were not good enough, but it was their trust and faith in God, in his promises, and their assurance and confidence God would provide them with the Savior that they were looking forward to. From the proto-gospel forward, Genesis 3.15, the first time the gospel is talked about, those people were looking forward to their Savior. They had faith that God would provide that Savior. Their works were examples of their faith. In Galatians 3, 6 through 9, it says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Know that in all of this, righteousness does not come out of works, but the faith that the works flow out of. The true assurance in our God. So now that we're clear as mud on that last piece, let's take a look back at Abel. Um, in Genesis 4, 1 through 15, we find the account of Abel where we see the two brothers, Cain and Abel, who were asked to bring a sacrifice to the Lord. Both Cain and Abel knew what was required by God. Abel acted in faith and belief, and Cain acted in his unbelief. It says it in Genesis 4, 4 through 5. He acted in his unbelief. Abel was accounted as righteous before God as he provided the sacrifice out of faith, not obligation as Cain did. Cain was running through the motions he did what he thought he had to do. Verse, honoring God through faith and obedience because of a desire to love God and do what he asks of us. So interesting to me the way that the author starts off the human examples here. With 
one that is so beyond relevant to what the people needed to hear then and for us here and now. Because think about it. How many of us can relate to Cain on a real level? How many of us do our spiritual obligations rather than doing what we do out of faith and love for God? The amount of times I can recall that I would do something like tithe or make some kind of sacrifice in my life for the sake of God, but really it was for the sake of just looking the part, right? Just out of obligation, just doing my due diligence, checking the box. It happens way more than I care to admit. And the author here is bringing a very real reminder about what true faith in the realm of sacrifice looks like. Doing what we're asked to do because we want to honor our king for what he has done for us. Because we have confidence and hope in all that he said, right? Which brings me to the first question from the beginning. When doing what God asks, is it out of a true respect and honor of the one who asks? Or is it out of obligation? This is an indication of true faith. Which then brings us to the second example. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. But Enoch, it seems to be like a throwaway example. When you look at the detailed examples coming up in this chapter. But in its simplicity... Enoch's account is profound, and honestly, it's beyond relevant. This verse is actually a direct quote from Genesis 5.24. It says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So another way that this walked with God can be written is he pleased God. Enoch pleased God. And this take in him is the same thing as seen in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, where in the end, Jesus will take those left to be with him. This is a clear reminder that he was taken up without dying because of his faith. So in this, the big takeaway from the account of Enoch is that by faith, he lived for him. He lived for God. What a better example of how we should be living our lives than in faith which is pleasing to God. Living our lives for God, right? Seems pretty simplistic. That's, it's an incredible reminder. Trusting him, having confidence in him, trusting in the salvation that he's given us. It might sound so cliche. Live by faith, walk by faith. But his, this is so important. Once we understand true faith, we start to see this diamond of faith taking shape with a massive peace being living as Enoch did, walking with the Lord, knowing who he is, knowing what he's done. And our response within that, what should our response within that be? Now back to the second question at the beginning. As you walk through this life, are you walking in obedience? Are you living your life for God? Or are you following your own this, again, is another indicator provided by the author of true faith. We'll take a closer look at why faith is foundational for pleasing God in verse 6 in just a bit, but we're going to move on to verse 7 and uh, hit our last human example here of by faith. Verse 7, by faith, 
Excuse me. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So up to this point in history, the world had never seen something like a flood. Several scholars believing it had not even rained yet up to this point. Even with this, Noah had faith in God. He had confidence in God and what he had said. And from this faith, built the ark for 120 years. In this faith, Noah continually tried to point the wicked people to God. As he's building this ark, old guy out there hammering nails, he's like, everybody, hey, end of the world's coming. But no one would listen, right? You have this crazy old guy building a boat. What is a boat? Wait, I only, what is, who, who even knew what that was? But they wouldn't listen. Noah went through the ringer of trials because of this. Being hated by the world around him, calling, people were calling him crazy. Yet even in his faith, in his faith, he remained. His trust in God remained. Noah knew for a fact that God was real. He had this faith. Something important to point out in this is that he did it out of reverent fear. That's what the passage says. He did it out of reverent fear. Noah treated God's message with great respect and awe. And from this great respect and awe, shared this message with the people. And even in the midst of rejection from the people, continued on because he knew what God said was true. His reverent fear of God superseded the potential fear of man. So desiring to honor God, he did what he was told, as crazy as it might have seemed. And so desiring to see the people saved, he continued to share the truth, even though he was brought down and beat down. This shows true faith. I have the examples given up to this point. This one should really hit home for all of us. Do you have reverent fear of God or fear of man? Do you have faith in God and what he says? Or do you worry about what others might think of you? Will you, believer, no matter the consequences of man, go out into this world and share the good news of Jesus Christ for the sake of the broken world? Will you do this so these people can too have faith? So they too can have confidence in this creator that we've been talking about. Sharing this good news, knowing that the world is going to end. Knowing there's only one way to salvation. True faith does not lend itself to standing idly by while the world descends into chaos. True faith is on the front lines because the truths and the hope that we're confident in. It's this hope of Jesus Christ that that the desire to serve and sacrifice comes out of love, not obligation. It's because of Jesus we desire to walk in this faith, doing what he asks because we are confident. And it's because of this confidence, this faith, we will step into the fold 
following God's commands, and in that, sharing the good news to this broken world. Faith is not passive, you guys. It's active. It's not just a sign on your wall. Now we're going to circle back to verse 6 and see what it looks like when faith is not in the picture. Verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please him. <clears throat> For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Right in the heels of speaking of three men who please God. This shows the impossibility of being able to do what these men did without the faith being referenced. Genuine faith does not just believe in a divine being. The he here points to the fact that it is faith in the one true God, not just faith in something out there. This verse brings in that, yes, we must believe in the existence of the one true God, but also there must be an unequivocal belief in the perfect sacrifice, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. As it is in this belief, this confidence, in this hope, people are rewarded with the forgiveness and righteousness because he has promised to do so. This is the pinnacle of this passage. From everything seen so far, we have a look at true faith, a reminder that we have confidence God created everything from nothing. A reminder to obey by faith, not obligation. A reminder to live by faith, to act in our faith. And in this verse, a reminder that without this faith, this confidence in God, you can never, ever, ever please him. You can't please him. Without faith in him, there is not a reward. There is not forgiveness. There is no righteousness. Without faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. Without true faith, there is no life. Faith is not just some whimsical word that we use in this culture today. Vital. Without confidence in the cross of Jesus Christ, there is only death. So let me ask you this morning, from the three questions asked, where is your faith today? Have you just assumed it's just believing blindly? Do you understand the depths that this faith holds? Now, I'm not in any way saying that any of us live this out perfectly. Not even close. As I said previously, it's definitely a struggle bus at times. I'm sure every single one of us in this room could agree with that. But it was for the men mentioned today, too. They went through trial, questioning, hardship, but at the end of the day, there was perseverance. Direction, not perfection, as this church loves to say every single week at least once. And a heart that leaned into the confidence that they had. Their trust in God. A wise man once said, he's saying right there, true faith and strong faith do not rest on our perceived strength or how strong it feels to us in any moment, but rather that our faith if it's true, no matter how small or weak, is in a perfect, strong, powerful God. That's the basis of faith being worth something. A mustard seed of faith in the right thing, Jesus, outweighs the grandest faith in anything else. 
As you go through this week, continue to ask yourselves the three questions presented today. When doing what God asks is out of true respect and honor of the one who asks or is out of obligation. As you live your life, are you walking in faith or following your own path? And do you have a reverent fear of God or fear of man? As you go through this week, reread these verses as a reminder. Reread them. If you're struggling in one of these areas, I pray you will examine your life and look at them. Maybe you don't have the confidence in the truths Scripture presents. Continue asking yourself, is faith active or passive in your life? Am I honoring God with my life? And what needs to change to continue growing in this faith? Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you are so good and you are kind and loving. God, I pray that as we went through these verses today, we got to see what true faith is. God, I pray that you would just help us examine our hearts and our, and our lives and, and see where we are at in this Heavenly Father. God, thank you so much for the ability we have to come. God, I pray that um, you would just continually uh, draw us closer to you. Love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.